After the sermon, we'll sing together hymn seven. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's an old proverb that goes like this, look before you leap. You should always look where you're jumping because if you don't, you could get really badly hurt. First time that saying was recorded is 1546. And uh, a man by the name of John Haywood was writing about a young man dating a woman and looking to marry her. And this was his advice to the young man. And he wrote it in Shakespearean type of English, so I'll modernize it just so we all understand. And though there seem wise for you, never so fit, yet let not harmful lust so far outrun your wit, but that you hark to hear the whole sum that may please or displease you in time to come. Thus by these lessons you may learn good cheap in weddings and all to look before you leap. Good advice if you're getting married, look before you leap. If you're going to date somebody, whether it's a guy dating a girl or a girl dating a guy, make sure you know that person before you leap into marriage, because if you don't, you could be in for a lot of heartache. That's good advice in all of life. You know, choosing a career, making financial decisions. When I was younger, I, I knew this guy whose wife inherited a, a lot of money from her parents, and he thought he was pretty smart with money, and he said, let me invest it, and we'll get a whole lot more money. So he took that money, and part of it he put into futures, the market, and the other part, he bought a used car lot without using an accountant or a lawyer. Well, the, the, the futures cratered, and the used car lot was mortgaged to the hilt. He lost everything. He lost his wife's total inheritance. Look before you leap, right? What about God? Can we trust him? Do you really want to put your faith in God? to surrender your life to him, to say you are my all in all? Are you going to do that? Should you look before you leap? Well, we, we looked at that this morning. We have an absolutely amazing God, a God who doesn't have to be good to us, but a God who is gracious, a God who gave his son to die for us. So go ahead and take a flying leap. You know, embrace God in faith. He's the one. We want him, and, and, they, and we certainly aren't going to get hurt in the process. But now you want to add something to that. Uh, look before you leap. That, that's true. But once you leap, you're not done. When you enter into marriage and you're pretty sure this is where you want to be, the work has only just begun. You want to get to know your wife or your husband, to grow as a couple, as friends, as a married couple, you want it to grow and to learn about each other and to help each other in all good things that belong to this life and the life to come. The same thing with God. It's not enough just to say, I take a flying leap and I embrace God and he is my everything. You know, it, it, it's not enough. We, we need to get to know this God. Like, like, who is he? What is he capable of? What has he done? What does he want in me? What can we do together? You know, the more we get to know our God, the more he's not just some theological concept, he's in our heart. We have a relationship. 
and it's a relationship of love, really a lot like a married couple. This is so important that when our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray, the first petition, as soon as you say the first petition, you understand this is foundational. This is of first and primary importance. The first petition isn't a coincidence. It is the most important thing for us to understand in our lives. And Jesus Christ taught us, pray, hallowed be your name. And our Lord's Day explains what that means. It, it, you notice that, that it's got two parts. Grant, first of all, that we might rightly know you. And then also that we may so direct our whole life to you. Jesus Christ says you need to pray, hallowed be your name, and that is God, may we really get to know you. And that's what we're going to look at this afternoon under this theme. Jesus Christ teaches us to pray for the hallowing of God's name. We'll see three things. Why is knowing God important? What is knowing God? And how is knowing God life transforming? Why is it so important to know God? Did you by any chance look at the footnotes under our Lord's Day and see how many of the footnotes are from the prophecy of Jeremiah? It's quite significant. This, the prophecy of Jeremiah took place you know, as, as Judah was about to go into Babylonian captivity. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied that, and he lived through it. What's interesting is that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet as a boy. There was another boy at the same time who was called to be king, Josiah. You had a boy king and a boy prophet. And when they were still in their teenage years, we read in 2 Kings 22 that the book of the law was found. That's the Bible. Somebody comes running out of the temple with a book, blowing the dust off, and he says, I don't know what this is. It's the book of the law. It's the Bible. Nobody had seen it for years. Nobody, nobody had heard it. Nobody knew about it. And, and Josiah, the boy king, and, and Jeremiah, the, the boy prophet, they blew off the dust, and they strove for a reformation in Israel. Didn't go well. People didn't listen. Eventually, Josiah died, and then Babylon came. Nebuchadnezzar came and pulverized Jerusalem, did unspeakable, horrible things to God's people and carried them off into exile. And, and we're not surprised when we read about kings who sacrifice their baby boys. When we read about cultic prostitution, just for example, it's no wonder God's wrath came upon them. But is there a way to turn things around? Is there a possibility for change? Can God's people come out of this under God's grace and have a right relationship with God again? Well, that's what Jeremiah is showing. And one of our footnotes is Jeremiah 9. If you read Jeremiah 9, it's a horrible chapter outlining the sins of the people and how they're going to be punished. But then in verses 23 and 24, God gives direction. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. 
that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He caught this right. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. That's what God says. He, he doesn't start out by saying, stop sacrificing your kids, stop this cultic prostitution. He says, know me. Get to know me as your God. Later on in Jeremiah 31, the Lord picks up on this. Again, you hear his heartbreak when he says there, they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. But then he makes a promise of a new covenant, and it's absolutely amazing. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. A day is coming when God's people will know their God. It's written on their hearts. And we read in Hebrews 8 that that day will come with our Lord Jesus Christ. And for a number of, of obvious reasons, we know, of course, he brings redemption. But our Lord Jesus Christ also revealed the deep love of the Father in an amazing way. He unfolded what the law was really trying to say, for instance, in his Sermon on the Mount. And he promised that one day he would pour out his Holy Spirit who will reveal things that people never even dreamed of. A day of knowledge is coming when, when God's people will know him like they never did before. And for instance, you know, in the Old Testament, you had the ceremonial law, the laws of clean and unclean. From my perspective today, I don't like those laws at all. They weren't fun. They were nice. But in a time of shadows, it kind of corralled and held the people in a right path to know God and to live in holiness. But with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and his victory, the use of that law is over. That stuff is gone. Even the Ten Commandments, and I say this carefully, they have a somewhat limited value compared to what they did in the Old Testament. They have lots of value, don't get me wrong, but introductory. We see that with our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his Sermon on the Mount, he would say, you know, you were told you shall not murder. I tell you, don't call your brother an idiot, because that's murder. The law says you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, that's adultery. And then there's the Apostle Paul, who speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, who, who basically he's taken the Ten Commandments and he's putting it out into the stratosphere. Unbelievable. He says, this is what the Christian life looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In this new age of Pentecost, with the Spirit dwelling in our hearts, I don't need someone hovering over me going, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder. Sure, we still need to hear that. My parents tell me that. The preaching tells me that. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you take the basic Ten Commandments, you take the law of God, and you explore it. And God works in your heart so that you see amazing, new, and wonderful ways 
not even written in the Bible, that you will know how to love your neighbor. You will know how to love your God. There will be a sweet intimacy with God that will absolutely transform life. In the Old Testament, God promised that day was coming. We are living in that day right now. And who of us doesn't want to know about that and embrace it? So the key here is knowing our God. And our our Lord's Day understands this. And when it unpacks the petition, hallowed be thy name, then, then our Lord's Day says the primary thing here is that we get to know our God for who he is and what he is. Hallowed be your name. God's name, maybe you remember that from the Sermon on the Third Commandment. God's name is, well, it's God himself. What he's revealed about himself. It's his reputation. It's his revelation. So to hallow God's name means to hold in the highest estimation, to stand in awe of God, who he is, you know, as creator as Redeemer, as the, as the amazing God. So hallowed be your name ultimately comes down to this, that, oh my God, I really want to know you. And now in English, the word know is it's a little different than the, the Hebrew word to know. It's yada, and yada is one of my favorite words in the Bible. To know in Hebrew expresses intimacy and a relationship. It can even be the relationship between a husband and wife. We read in Genesis 4, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, Cain. Adam knew his wife. The sweetest intimacy between a husband and a wife, which produced a child. Now, uh, to know God, obviously not sexual, but to know God is that intimacy almost of a husband and wife. To know him so well that I don't just have this head knowledge, this theological knowledge about God, but he's in my heart. I feel him. I experience him. He's real. He's big. He's everything in my life. I walk with my God. I know him. And what an awesome God. As our Lord's Day points out that rightly knowing God means to sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. We sang of that together in Psalm 145 where David praises God. He even gives food to the animals, and to all people. Tomorrow evening, we'll celebrate New Year's Eve. As a congregation, as families and friends, there'll be a lot of talk about the God who provides. He took care of us in 2018, and we trust that he will also take care of us in 2019. We just celebrated Christmas. And when we celebrated Christmas, we heard the gospel that God so loved the world, he gave his son to become a man, to lay him in that wooden cradle so that one day he would go to a wooden cross and lay down his life for sinners. That's my God, brothers and sisters, an almighty creator, a faithful provider, a savior, 
a husband. We are like the wife of our living God. One of our footnotes is Hebrew, or, um, Romans 11, which speaks about the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And then Paul adds, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's only when we get to know our God in his power, his love, his grace, his righteousness, and wisdom that we are drawn into that living relationship with him. It's not just theology, brothers and sisters. It's just not some understanding or knowing about God. But like Adam and Eve, we're drawn together in the deepest and most intimate of love. So we are drawn in an intimate love with God. He is like our husband. He is our God. He's also our friend. Friend to David. Friend to Abraham. Friend to you and me. What an awesome God. And to know him is to be drawn into a, a relationship with him. That brings us to our, our second point. We understand that knowing God is so important, but exactly what does it mean to know God day in and day out? This is something that you want to talk to God about. You don't just do that on your own. You pray to God, and that's what our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us here in the first petition. You should talk to God every day and say, Lord, help me to know you better. Help me to grow in a relationship with you. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I readily admit myself, I'm not always so good at that. When I wake up in the morning, and sometimes have a, a moment of, of prayer, I'll say things like, thanks for a good night's sleep, and please help me in what I'm going to do today. Help me write a sermon or something like that. And I haven't even talked about him. It's all, it's all about me. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to, the point he's trying to make here in the first petition. Don't just ask him for what you need. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about your God. Say, Lord, you're an amazing God. You're an awesome God. I want to get to know you better. And you know, if we pray like that, brothers and sisters, then God really becomes central and foremost to us. He becomes big to us. Put him for, first and foremost, also in prayer. Ask to know him better then you will get to know him better and he will be an amazing God in your life. So there are two things that come to mind here, how we really get to know our God. And, and first of all, to, to know God means that we need to read scripture. We need to meditate on it and pray with it. So I'd like to ask you a question and please don't raise your hand. But is a common practice in your life daily to have a time for Bible reading, personal Bible reading, and that you reflect on it, you meditate on it, you think about what that, how that applies to your life and how it brings you closer to God, and then you pray to him. I'll tell you, often I get people, or often, sometimes I get people who come to me and say, you know, I just don't feel close to God. I just wonder how I, how I become a, a better and a more living person. Christian, I almost always know what the problem is. And I said, how's your Bible reading? Well, it's not good. That's, that's a huge problem. 
That's a huge problem for people that, you know, we call ourselves Christians, we want to know our God, but to really know him is through his word. That's where he speaks to us. And we saw that this morning. A simple but amazing example in, in Psalm 6, for instance, where David cries out, my soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? And, and, and if you read Psalm 6 and you read it, you understand that as a Christian, you will suffer. And it'll hurt so bad that you will sometimes cry out to God and protest, How long, Lord? When will you ease up? When will you lighten my load? And, and, and meanwhile, we come to an understanding that as Christians, we will all suffer. And God uses that suffering in order to educate us and bring us closer to him, to strengthen our faith, but that we always know we have a God who loves us. He gave his son to die for us. And he will indeed not let anything separate us from his love. When we read the Bible, brothers and sisters, and I know it's an old document. The last part of it was written about 2,000 years ago. But it is alive. I know I can read the minor prophets and it blows me away how, how up to date and modern and how it speaks to us as Christians in 2018 and 2019. You can spend your whole life and be 98 years old and the Bible is always bringing out new things about your God and what your place is in God's story. And it will guide you to walk closer with him. The second thing that's important about knowing God is that it's important that our knowledge is really, it's put into practice in the sense that, you know, apply it in your daily walk of life. And I'll just give a little example here, a little bit off the wall. But it's Christmas time, maybe you got a present, maybe you bought yourself a present. Now for me, a great present would be a handheld GPS that I could go into the forest and the mountains it will show me the way, and it will always get me back to camp or where the truck is, uh, whatever. But GPS is complicated. You need to read the instructions to, to figure it out. But once you're at that point, it's not enough to say, I got a GPS and I know how it works. Get out there. Get in the bush. Get in the forest. Make it work and see what a marvelous device that this is. Well, the same thing with our God. He's, the more we get to know him, we, we realize he is an absolute awesome God who guides us in all matters of life. And we want to apply that. We want to see that worked out. Take a simple example of, let's say our children, young people, young adults, we're going to school. School is a, an amazing learning experience. And I have to confess, I didn't know that till I hit university I was not a very good student in school. I didn't enjoy it, and I did as little as I possibly could. But if I really know my God, and I understand that he is the creator of this world, and he's put each and every one of us to be in this world, to be his image, and to use our talents in such a way as to glorify him and better the lives of people around. Well, then I look at education in a whole new way. You know, God has given me brains, he's given me teachers, he's, he's given me all these subjects. I can learn, I can grow, and it makes me a better citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And one person says, I can see that in math, but I certainly don't see that in Shakespeare. Are you kidding? Shakespeare's fantastic. 
what Hamlet has done for me, what Petruchio has done for me to give me a worldview, to think, to understand, to, to be able to write. It all helps you in your job. It'll help you if you become an elder or a deacon or in a school board. We are all given talents. And our knowledge of God is not just a, a nice knowledge on the shelf that we say, oh yeah, he's, he's a mighty God, he's our savior. No, he's the God who walks with me and carries me through life in a practical way that I live as his child to his praise and glory and help those around me. Obviously, the, the greatest way that we put into practice the knowledge of our God is that sweet knowledge that his son died for our sins, gave us his spirit to be born again. That's a, a practical reality that's carried out in our lives. Start a new day, and I know God forgave me my sins for yesterday. How in the world can I do the same things again? The blood of Jesus made me clean. The Spirit revives and rekindles my soul and my mind and my body. I'm going to use my life for God's praise and glory. He equipped me for this very thing. And that brings us to our, our final point, how knowing God is life transforming. I, I think that that should be as obvious as the nose on your face, that when you get to know this God and you love him and there's an intimacy, of course, that's it's going to change your life. You know, in Jeremiah 31, God says, I was a husband to you. And look what you did. But we're going to make a new beginning. I am your husband. You are my wife. You are my people. Are you not going to live to my praise and glory? That should be obvious and sweet, especially if you take the example of husband and wife. I like that example. I happen to be a husband, so it's, I really understand it. But to be husband and wife, wow, that's amazing. Somebody that you love and somebody that loves you. You can talk together. You can communicate for hours on end. You reveal things to your spouse that you wouldn't reveal to anybody else. You weep together. You laugh together. You help each other in everything. You work together for your common good, and you become one. And the life of a husband to his wife and vice versa is all about watching you blossom and you grow. Now, God is our husband. He loves us so much, he gave his son to die for us. The natural response to know the love of God is to say, Lord, I am like your wife. In my whole life, I surrender to you. I give to you. I work for you. I live to your praise and to your glory. A moment ago, we quoted one of the footnotes of our Lord's Day, Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That comes after a long explanation about God's grace and his electing love in Jesus Christ. And then he brings it to a climax in chapter 12, where we read, I appeal to you there, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To really know our God and to love our God is the renewing of the mind. 
a whole way new of thinking, a whole way new way of living, of surrendering every thought, every word, every deed as an act of love to the praise and the glory of our God. Hallowed be your name, not just in what I know, but what in, in what I do for you. And I'd like to take uh, one final example. Not an obvious one like don't murder or commit adultery. I'm going to go a little deeper. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was unpacking the, the sixth and seventh commandments, for instance, he said about the sixth, you shall not murder. He says, don't even call your brother an idiot. And the Apostle Paul put that even more positively when he spoke of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. For a person living in the dispensation of the Spirit, understanding God's law, you shall not kill, is to say, I can't even hold a grudge against somebody. I can't give the silent treatment. I can't walk over somebody's feelings. But there is a spirit of forgiveness, of love, of joy, of self-control in all my relationships. Therefore, one of the things that blows us away is that within our church community, within our families, our friendships, there, there can be a, sp a spirit of bitterness. People who hold grudges. People who won't talk to each other. And, and I have to ask, are, are you a Christian? Do you really know God? John wrote in his epistle, first epistle, chapter 4, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's the person who loves his neighbor. That person's been born again. That person knows God. And then he also puts it negatively if you don't get it. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the point is, brothers and sisters, to really know our God, to hallow his name, to hold him in the highest esteem for who he is, so that God lives in us. And I experience my God. And I walk with my God. I can never hate my brother. I, I can never allow my marriage to flounder or to be resentful to one of my children or to be angry at my elder or to be angry at a, a fellow student at school. Oh, you know, we, we can go through times we, we get hurt, we get angry. There's no two ways about it. But as we turn to God in prayer and we experience God in our lives, we also know how to love, how to forgive, how to be self-controlled. Can you imagine what that basic principle of knowing God, of experiencing love, what that will do to our marriages and to our families and church community, to school, work, wherever we are, whatever we do. God says, a day is coming, you will know me and it will transform your life. That's the wonder of knowing God in our lives. It gives glory to God. And so I end with what we began at the beginning of the service, Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. All glory 
to God alone. Amen.